Hello there, listeners, and welcome to Episode 8 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through various Star Wars novels, both in Legends and Canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will continue through Star Wars Thrawn, covering chapters 15 and 16. Whoa there, past Andrew in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. Hey, listeners, this is Editing Andrew, who thought I'd clear up some confusion you probably have right now. You're probably thinking, hang on, the episode title says this will be covering only chapter 15. And you're right. Past Andrew must not have gotten the memo when he decided to record this intro. Anyway, enjoy the discussion on chapter 15. Now, back to the episode. And I am joined today by digital artist and co-host of the Imperial Coffee Break podcast, Chad Fagan. Chad, how are you doing, man? Thanks for being on the show today. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm uh, doing great. How are you doing? I am not doing too bad, man. I'm excited to uh, get into these chapters and uh, also just to have you on the show uh, in general. I always love the opportunity to have uh, have someone on and help break down these ideas and the, the material. So I'm excited to, to see what uh, 15 and 16 are going to hold, man. Um, oh, absolutely. I, I love this book. I've read it, I think, two times now. It's a great read. I think it's it's probably my favorite of the trilogy and probably up there with one of my favorite Star Wars books that I've read so far. And there's been a lot of good ones. So uh, definitely. I would have to agree on that. Um, it, it, I'm like back and forth because book two was really interesting. But I, I think the way that the, he did book one, though, and introduced him was so nostalgic. So, you know, I'm like back and forth on which one I like more. <laughs> Just for the for the sake of not spoiling anything for listeners, I won't get too much into what book two holds, but uh, it's just crafting the character of, of Thrawn, um, you know, bringing him back from what we read about in the Legends trilogy and now crafting his beginnings here. It's It's been a great ride uh, in all facets, just seeing how the, the military tactical mastermind that we know so well, uh, how he came to be the infamous Grand Admiral in the Imperial Navy. It's, it's been a good ride. Um, but speaking of your, uh, your relationship with Thrawn and the book, uh, I'll give you a, ch- a chance to give the listeners a bit on your background, first with Star Wars as a whole, and then with Thrawn specifically as, a, as this book and the character as well. Yeah, so my background with Star Wars, um, none of my family actually really cares about Star Wars. Um, <laughs> that much like they're very casual going viewers like just the movies stuff like that but i so i got myself into star wars when i was probably like six i think my cousins got me into it from uh, earliest i can remember is seeing it on tv here and there and i was just drawn into it first memory of star wars was the battle of hoth when i was on vacation in arkansas and i just saw the walkers moving and i was like I want to know what that is. Um, But as far as Thrawn goes, yeah, it has to be one of my favorite novels out of canon and legends, personally. I think he's just a magnificent character, and I think Timothy Zahn coming back, no one could have done it like him. Yeah, definitely. I think he's kind of become like Timothy Zahn's character. Like, I I would be surprised if uh or i don't know maybe i would be indignant if anyone else tried to touch thrawn uh <laughs> just because like timothy zahn has, has you know really created him and and molded him to, to be you know kind of how 
this this brilliant character that we all know him to be. It's kind of you know all credit to Timothy Zahn, and, and I have to agree with you there that what he's been able to do with the character of Thrawn. Speaking for myself, he's become probably my favorite character in all of Star Wars, and it's I just love how the character has been developed and and grown at the the writing of Zahn. And it was also fun to see him in Rebels too, but it's uh, get, getting a more in depth view of. Uh, of the character as a whole in these books has just been an, an incredible ride. So I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said there. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, he's basically Timothy Zahn's, and I think Lucasfilm and Disney understand that too. I mean, bringing him back into the whole thing and seeing how he liked him in Rebels. Um, and Timothy Zahn has said he actually likes him in Rebels. Um, which is great news. And yeah. um, it, it's like the same as Ahsoka being Dave's. You know, I, I don't think that it would be appropriate, I think is the right word, for anyone else to write it, you know, while he's still active. Yeah. And But yeah, I, I think it's all great. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited also to see the new trilogy that uh, Zahn's working on, the, the Ascendancy trilogy or... Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm... Uh, I'm very excited for that. Um, what did you think about the cover art that we've seen? The cover art, um, uh, kind of mixed reviews. I, I love the image of the chimera. Um, that's you know it kind of his his signature, his emblem, and and I love that. Um, it did seem a little a little simple. Yeah, it's kind of lackluster for me, but yeah. it's still cool, especially compared to like the you know, the other covers that we have of like this trilogy where, you know, there, I think there's some really great covers. Um, yeah. So it, it did seem a little, a little simple, lackluster even. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. honestly, <laughs> I think they made the kind of, kind of to compensate them pushing back the release to October 2020. I think I know that they've like yeah. lined the pages in blue and I mean, I'm, I'm going to love having a copy for my own regardless. Uh, Absolutely. So. <laughs> I am too. I'm ready to, get that i mean if, if they do if they have to do it they have to do it you know i want it to be good Definitely. i don't want it to be rushed or anything like that that's how i always my optimistic view on things they have to push it back you know why rush it exactly i think it's hard sometimes to reconcile with that but i think you're right where i would much rather them push back the release of what becomes a brilliant book rather than rush a book that you know, and kind of like risk its quality that way. I, yeah, so I'd, I'd much rather, you know, it, it sucks to wait, but if that's what it takes for, you know, a more refined product, then I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> so I'm excited yeah. to, to get my hands on a copy eventually. But for now, we got to settle with what we got here, and that is the first <laughs> installment of this trilogy. Um you know, we're about midway through the book, and and I feel like at this point, it, I love preparing for these episodes because I'm reminded of how much I love this book. And it's really gotten good in these recent chapters, too, and I think 15 and 16 don't disappoint whatsoever. Uh, and I'm, yeah, I think we could jump right into that and really, because uh, there's a lot to talk about and a lot that happens in these chapters. I'm ready to jump in, man. Uh, this book, it, it's like Sherlock Holmes, really. I mean, <laughs> for sure. Compared, like, I mean, he, he really is, like, without, you know, going too out of line of what Thrawn really is. I mean, his wits and, like, the mystery behind everything that he solves. Like, I've heard some people say, like, well, uh, he solves everything perfectly. And say, well, 
Yeah, but I mean, do you see how smart he is? He gives an explanation for everything, and he's so tactical. It's brilliant. Yeah, no, for sure. It seems to be like a recurring theme how me and uh, the guests that I have on like always remark at how he is very much the imperial Sherlock Holmes, and just the way that he's able to take what seems insignificant on its surface and really, you know, break it down into something quite significant and and how he's able to unearth the true meaning behind all the so much that happens around him. It's it's brilliant and very much a, a Sherlock Holmes mind and kind of a Star Wars Sherlock Holmes equivalent, which, you know, we wouldn't really think uh, of of a bad guy being that equivalent, but uh, it, it does seem to be the case and he does have his, uh, his Watson. Eli has really come a long way. I think these chapters or at least 15 is is more focused on on what Thrawn is able to uncover but Eli does have some good moments here as well and uh, we can get right into that after I give my summary right here in front of me and then we can dive right in all right Thrawn is disappointed to hear commander Chino was unfairly relieved of duty Eli tells Thrawn that it's all part of Imperial High Command's plan to take Thrawn down Colonel Yularen informs Thrawn that Night Swan has been linked to protests and unrest around the galaxy, including infiltrating government offices in order to topple them from within. Thrawn suspects that Dojo's training Senate bodyguards could be susceptible to such plots, so he, Yularen, and Eli pay these Dojos a visit. They visit Wahir's Dojo, and Thrawn notices Wahir is uneasy about their presence at the Dojo. Arinda Price reintroduces herself to Thrawn there, who notices Wahir's discomfort at Price telling Thrawn about Higher Sky's advocacy group. After a sparring session with the dojo's owner, the Imperials leave, and Thrawn requests that Yularen's ISB investigate Higher Skies. Thrawn is promoted to commander of the Thunder Wasp, while a frustrated Eli remains an ensign. So, yeah, there's a lot to break down in this chapter. Uh, we kind of start off with a, a big rip to Commander Chino, um, who, you know, really turned into this rather likable Imperial officer who pretty much sacrificed his career to protect Thrawns. And we find out that after the court-martial, even though he was able to pretty much clear his name and show that the actions that he and the Thunder Wasp did in the battle above Umbara were the right actions to take and lives were saved, that Imperial High Command still has him step down. And before we break into kind of Eli's analysis of this to a very confused Thrawn, um, what were your thoughts on this initial uh, initial exchange between Thrawn and Eli? I mean, it seems like it's a pretty regular thing that happens within the Imperial Navy if someone is greatly disliked. I mean, not no one is probably disliked as much as Thrawn at yeah. this point, but I, I, it seems like everyone just works together to bring him down and it's it's quite corrupt but i think he's willing to take the necessary steps just to reach his greater goal um per se even if he's worried about his the lives of his crew more than anything else and i I think his initial interactions with eli were quite interesting to say the least it's always interesting to see a moment where thrawn 
shows some kind of emotion because he's very much this stoic figure. And here, from this, because this first part is in Eli's point of view, Eli is noting that Thrawn seems genuinely confused at why High Command had Chino step down. And Thrawn says, and I quote, but it violates all tactical reason. Commander Chino acquitted himself well, and the actions of his ship won the battle and saved many lives. How does High Command conclude that he must be relieved of duty? And this is where Eli's value shows, I think, where Thrawn clearly has a lot to yet learn about the imperial political game, uh, even even that game that reaches into the heart of the social aspects yeah, of it, too. the social aspects of it as well. And we saw a lot of that back at the royal uh, the royal imperial, and we're kind of seeing the the repeated nature. Like you said, this is kind of like a common occurrence now where. High Command is kind of stripping away everyone who is associated with Thrawn's success. And it seems to me that, yet again, this is an instance of the nature of imperial naval politics clashing with logic and reason, where Chino did all the right things, but still got punished nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, he he was probably a character that I, I grew attached to quite quickly during that battle, because he put thrown ahead of himself and said you are smarter than me you know you are clearly know what to do better than me in situations like this when we're completely have our hands tied behind our back and i think you should take the step ahead and i think that the imperial high command doesn't like someone like him having that much flexibility and praise as much as he is they just don't like how much he's growing so fast and like how into the spotlight he's getting and quickly becoming someone of the emperor's interest because i mean in the end that's what most people from high command want themselves they just want to be the emperor's favorite so they want to destroy every opponent that they can yeah and and you know we know that palpatine has taken an interest in thrawn and you know they, they are taking as many steps as they can to thwart that progress no matter who they have to take down to get to that goal and I just think it, it really doesn't make sense where they could be probably a, a lot more efficient militarily if they kept officers like Captain Virgilio and Commander Chino in active duty, yet they're kind of taken away as many competent officers as they need who are helping Thrawn to get where he is in order to take him down. It, it just doesn't make tactical sense, which Thrawn realizes. And I thought that his response here to Eli was very telling about how he views the situation of Chino being relieved. Because in the last chapter, we saw a great moment between Thrawn and Chino where they had a lot of mutual respect between each other. They were saying that they've learned a lot from each other as they were parting ways. And Thrawn says that this relieving of Chino is, and I quote, a foolish waste of resources. And I think that says a lot about how Thrawn is approaching others and situations in general, where we were almost led to believe that there was kind of like a camaraderie of sorts between him and Chino, where in the end, this is just Thrawn seeing Chino as a valuable asset, and not really so much the loss of a good man as the loss of a, of a valuable asset, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think Commander Chino, too, is one of those few examples that not everyone pays attention to enough in the Empire, where that is what the Empire could have been. Mm. Had it, I mean, it's complicated to say because Palpatine's controlling everything, but if the Empire were what it was meant to be, what the Senate had planned it to be, not Palpatine, but like 
for the good of the galaxy, he would probably be one of the commanders in leading that example. And I mean, it's clear that everyone's working to for their self gain, except for few commanders like Commander Chino, in which Thrawn clearly recognizes is a waste of resources because he's working for the betterment of the Empire and not himself. Yeah, and I think that's a great point where we see the the clashing reality of what the Empire is under Palpatine's reign contrasted with what it very well could be, something much, much greater. Maybe for, you know, it, obviously if Palpatine was out of the picture, it, it would potentially be a, a force of good, <laughs> but, you know, we can't really associate good with Palpatine and anything he touches, but... You know, right, because you can't say the Empire would have happened without yeah. Palpatine doing it, but, you know, hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically speaking, exactly. It's an interesting point where there is a lot that Palpatine governs within the Empire, but I think it also, what we see here with the relieving of Chino, I think that's maybe more of a case of of Palpatine letting and permitting this kind of stuff happening where he doesn't mind these power games being played out beneath him he probably finds it amusing to see just all these officers and positions of authority like clashing with each other while he kind of sits above it all and i don't know it's just an interesting contrast between what Palpatine directly is influencing and and what he's permitting. And I think that, you know, as long as Thrawn is progressing in his career, Palpatine's fine with that. Because that's, I guess, what he wants and what we'll end up seeing at the end of this chapter with, with Thrawn's promotion. That, you know, yeah, as long as Thrawn's progressing, he doesn't really care about who gets who gets uh, taken down alongside him. Yeah, and I, th- I think you, you nailed it uh, spot on uh, that Palpatine does encourage this kind of behavior among his commanders, maybe not directly more so, but like he, he just turns a blind eye to it or yep. he, cause I'm pretty sure I've heard in stories, other stories, various medias where he's thought that to himself, not, I mean, not getting in spoilers for other stories, but like, I'm pretty sure he's acknowledged pretty much what you just said that he, encourages that metaphorically speaking fight to the death kind of approach to their careers and like climbing the uh, hierarchy ladder you know with krennic and tarkin yeah there was that and rogue one um they're back and forth and i think he just thinks you know let them play these feuds as long as it isn't detrimental to his plans or a huge serious loss for the empire you know let them do this because he i mean likes that behavior but i mean he's he's a sith lord like what do you expect from a sith lord (laughs) exactly it's kind of like the mentality of the sith playing into what we see in the empire where the sith were all about climbing over each other for the sake of gaining power and that's exactly what we're seeing from the the layout of the the empire and and how the political and military ladders are, are being climbed and how people are being tossed aside for the sake of gaining power it's yeah it's very much a reflection of that sith philosophy that's a really good point you know it's exactly what we can expect from some you know from from palpatine and what he controls and eli kind of he touches on what's come to be the the norm that's expected of these officers where you know that's the game that's being played and he recognizes and tells Thrawn that and I quote the problem is that you don't fit into the neat little box navy officers are supposed to fill you're not human worse you're not from the core worlds you're showing them up and they resent you for it and if they can't take you down they'll go after the people they think helped make you who you are 
And that's both Eli recognizing the climb for power and how Thrawn kind of stands out from all that, kind of like the elephant in in the imperial power room <laughs> where he doesn't fit into that mold, does he? No, no, exactly. Because he, he, I mean, he's a, a species that nobody has seen before. Or the general public has never seen before, you know, obviously like, that just are legends uh, to a lot of people, as we've talked about before in the book. So seeing this different person out of the box climb so easily, mind you. I mean, he is rising in ranks really fast. I mean, like, untold of. And I think, like, it's childish behavior, but, like, it's just jealousy. <laughs> that's it. That, that's all it is, you know, if you break it down. That's yeah. all it is. And I think uh, Eli's analysis on that is uh, is good. And I think that, you know, it, it's it's a house of cards. It's just a power game, man. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that is all it is. And kind of going back to my point about Palpatine, not to, like, bring him into this too much, but, you know, he encourages that behavior because it's like, you know, the strong will survive. I think that's what he, like, I mean, that's what he believes in. That's, like, his ideals is, like, you know, if someone else beats you to the game or, like, takes you out of the game, then you're just the loser. Yeah. Like, they're yeah. the stronger one. That's, that's how it is. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And, and Thrawn very much is setting himself apart to be the stronger and, and the more competent of the officers that we've come across, whether the officers be, you know, good people like Chino and, and Virgilio, or if they're, you know, what we've seen from Wiscovis and Gendling and the rest of that. So I, I do think that Palpatine, his hand is playing a role in how fast Thrawn is rising, but Thrawn he's he's earned it you know his successes and what he's been able to do in his relatively short time with the navy you know it's unprecedented in the imperial navy so very well deserved from thrawn and probably a little bit of palpatine speeding the process up along to make sure that he gets in the highest position of of naval command uh, as as soon as possible so it's just it's interesting to see palpatine's will clashing with you know the the bickering that happens below him, and you know what's what he enables. Really, he, he kind of brings it upon the situation, but you know also has a very firm hand in keeping Thrawn alive in the game. You know, and Thrawn is he he makes a vow to Eli that he's going to try and learn the and I quote the rules and tactics of this form of warfare, talking about the like the political game. And I thought that's that's a moment of Thrawn trying to fit this situation, this this larger political picture into the terms that he can best understand to fit it into the lens through which he can comfortably assess the, uh, assess the situation and that's you know looking at things from the stance of, of warfare absolutely and I, I think that he would be the highest rank possible already you know he just has to work through the grunt level and I, I, to be honest I think it it's good from that aspect and I think it, it's for betterment of him because it gives him time to learn the Empire's social and political aspects. You know, if he went straight to the highest rank that he could, you know, there would be so many things that he would not be able to learn in the Empire itself and how, how things are worked about. So I think that he can work from the grunt level all the way up is uh, for the betterment of of him uh definitely as hard and frustrating as it is for the viewers you know saying like yeah. why is this happening like he's clearly in the right 
but it's just like that's how it is. I mean, you know, there's always going to be ruthless people like that. You know, you just got to be outsmart them basically yeah and you know that's that's a good point because i think if thrawn was promoted to grand admiral on day one i think he would have less success overall than what he has when he's kind of completing the full journey because when he takes the small steps to reach the grander picture he has these moments where eli can kind of like fill him in and and teach him which is kind of like a a role reversal here because usually thrawn is teaching eli but here very much eli is teaching thrawn about how the social and political landscape is acting in this situation and i think you're totally right that this is for thrawn's betterment that he can become a much, you know, kind of much more complete picture of what Palpatine perhaps has in mind for this Grand Admiral than, you know, if he was just given the role on day one. It it lets Thrawn grow in many different aspects, because like you said, he is new to the scene. He's not of the Empire. He's, you know, (laughs) this species that no one knows about, and he still has a lot to learn, as, as we've seen from this initial interaction where he doesn't understand why these things are happening. But that's where our guy Eli comes into play, where you know he's able to explain and able to teach Thrawn about the social and the political aspects that you know Thrawn is kind of struggling in. Yeah, and I, I think that Eli is probably a great asset to him to instruct him in these ways because I, I mean I don't know who else could because they'd have to speak Chiss, but yeah. I don't know. I I, I think. Eli is just like a great character in and of itself. And I I hope we get to see more of him outside of the books um, in terms of character development. It it would be really neat. Yeah, exactly. So he is a very likable guy. And also, you know, it's it's good to see the ways that he and Thrawn can kind of complement each other, where initially it, it, it started with Eli kind of just being Thrawn's baggage. But now Eli's growing into the to what Thrawn is trying to to help him to become where in this moment especially where he's telling Thrawn about the larger game at play here this is a a great instance of Eli seeing the bigger picture where you know earlier in the book he was kind of self-centered and focused on his education and his career now you know he's very much becoming what Thrawn is trying to groom him to be which is awesome to see because he's a great character a great guy you know he's got some good morals and you know, now we're seeing him being able to assess the the grander picture, which is which is fun, especially just seeing Eli do that instead of you know Thrawn always answering these questions. I think a great thing that Thrawn and Eli both learn together. I mean, yes, Thrawn probably knew this already from his time in the Unknown Regions, but I think it's cool to see as he grows in the Empire, he's not rushing. You know, none of this is being rushed, and I think that's a big message like as far as like what him and Eli are going through you know rising through the ranks like these things take time and you just can't the whole game the whole game you can't rush these things like everything takes time to make it better and perfect so it falls into play better and you can turn people who try to go against you so you would take that information and use it against them you know but just don't rush into things because then that leads to recklessness yeah and that's i think what we definitely do not associate with ron is recklessness where he you know he's very analytical and tactical and he he does take his in any given situation he takes his time in, in analyzing what's going on but then also it's nice to see that 
his progress you know it, it is being rushed but it also isn't where he's able to have these learning moments and you know he's he's not always thrown into the fire where both he and Eli have had time to develop into you know character wise and also within their ranks in the in the navy so it's you know and we can expect that much from Thrawn you know not rushing things and making sure that he's smart about it where yeah, I think that, I don't know, that it kind of comes in contrast with what we'd expect from other Imperial officers who would be quick to act and always in it for the glory and not really thinking about the, the implications in any given situation where Thrawn is, he's smart about it. And like I said, doesn't doesn't rush, you know, and, and it has paid off for him, as we've seen, and it continues to, as we'll continue to see. So that's a, that's a good point. Timothy Zahn has like noted too, Thrawn's only weaknesses that are clear are well as they've stated in the book his overconfidence but that doesn't really destroy like everything like what he's working on that doesn't get in the way of him too much i think it just kind of irritates people like how overconfident because like i mean eli when he first met him he's like he can sense his overconfidence and stuff or like his smug looks or whatever but like he's overconfident because he knows how smart he is but also his biggest weakness is just things that are completely out of his control. Because if he can control factors of the situation, he will know how to move forward. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Where, you know, he he is very. I wouldn't even say it's like a overcom. I think he's just confident, <laughs> and he's not trying to be arrogant about it. But he just he knows what he can do, and he knows know, how that, good that is. Was, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's what was like kind of gray area for me in the books but you know I, I think they did a pretty good job with it that is also another uh, i like what you said there where the things that he has trouble with are are those things that are out of his control because he's very used to being able to analyze a situation and see the opportunities that he can exploit from it and that he can take control of but in situations like chino's relief there and kind of how that's affecting Thrawn himself, he's lost his ship commander. Um, you know, this is very much an outside force kind of destroying the, the setup around him, and it, you know, it leaves him confused, and you know, there's, there's only so much that he can do before he has to yield to you know, what, what high command is doing and, and what the people above him are doing, which is, you know, it is out of his comfort zone, but, you know, like we're seeing what Eli's able to do here for him, it's, he's it ends up being a learning experience, which only makes Thrawn more powerful in the grander picture is now he can come to understand what to expect from these kind of situations. And, and Eli did a really great job of, of summing up the game that's being played. And now Thrawn knows, and he's made that vow to learn these rules or, or maybe lack thereof. Um, yeah, use it against them, basically. Definitely. And yeah, we'll see how he grows in that um, moving on. But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Back to their, because uh, they're walking through a hallway, uh, and Thrawn and Eli end up at Colonel Yularen's office. And uh, I like this little moment from Yularen where he acknowledges that Chino got, quote-unquote, stabbed in the back by the court-martial panel, where it's it's comforting to see that not just Thrawn and Eli are aware of how messed up those politics can be, where we have a pretty sensible guy in Colonel Yularen who's able to, he knows the the game as well and, and isn't too happy with it. You know, he, he kind of mourns Chino's loss for a moment. Yeah, exactly. He, he knows how all of this works, too. But it, it's kind of that sense where, you know, in your position's, you can't really do anything about that. It's just, how are you going to fight fire 
you like how are you going to go against it um how are you going to move forward like are you going to let this bring you down per se or are you going to use what you have and your allies around you to get back at them or per se just move ahead of them or step ahead of them because i mean some people aren't you know some adversaries just aren't worth it in the political game but yeah yeah, it's it's about how you move forward, and you know, uh, very very interested to see how Thrawn kind of adapts that larger picture. But uh, yeah, so Yolaren kind of catches them up on the ISB's work in trying to learn more about this Night Swan character, and they haven't had much luck. He's been linked with a whole lot of incidents from smuggling metals and antique purchases and organizing protests. And even those protests, because I, I had wondered before if maybe Night Swan was connected with the beginnings of what could become the rebellion. But, you know, even these protests are not specifically against the Empire. So it's really a bit of everything. And Thrawn ends up asking Yularen for the list of activities linked to Night Swan to see if he can find a pattern. And he he asks Yularen if there's been any unrest on Coruscant that's been linked to Night Swan. And Yularen kind of dismisses it. He's saying that the security and military on Coruscant is impenetrable. It's the best in the business. And that even there's a bunch of dojos that specifically train Senate bodyguards, which is a little nod to what we learned from Wahir in the previous chapter where she works at one of these dojos. But then there's this kind of funny moment, but also you know has it holds a deeper possibility to it, where Thrawn points out that there was a protest on the planet Nubia involving these guys who infiltrated a mayor's kitchen staff and replaced the staff with their own people and ended up taking him down. Just, that was kind of like a random moment. Like, wait, why the kitchen staff? But Thrawn gets the idea that these dojos that specifically cater to Senate bodyguards could be infiltrated as well. And that was kind of an oh shit moment for me where it's like, oh wait, that we could see some potential unrest and, you know, taken down of, of senators on Coruscant even, where we know that Price and Wahir are affiliated with with one of these dojos. Yeah, and I think that's what makes Night Swan such a great adversary is because he's not quite like Thrawn, but he's thinking almost to his level and he knows how to play through all these steps and be careful as he is and infiltrate anything he wants because he he means Thrawn I mean I'm thinking Thrawn's probably thinking, Oh, that's what I would do. Like he's doing it smart. Now I just gotta learn how to anticipate what he's going to do before it happens or what he's trying to get overall. Yeah, and that's, you know, very much like a Thrawn-like figure on the other side. And, you know, we see they've, they've kind of had this growing rivalry of sorts. And you know, it's very interesting to see how Thrawn can, you know, to see if he can anticipate Night Swan's moves, because Night Swan has kind of had the upper hand so far, which Thrawn has been able to realize. And, you know, he's he's working to counteract that. And, and we see here that, he realizes that Night Swan could be able to infiltrate the Senate um, through these dojos. And he's being proactive here and says that, yeah, we need to go down to these dojos and, and have the ISB see if there's anything strange going on. And that's exactly what they do. They end up um, in this next scene going to what is called the Yinsham Dojo, 
where mm-hmm. uh, there's this this boy outside that that greets Thrawn, Yularen, and Eli, and there's a couple of ISB agents there, and he says, and I quote, "Welcome to Yenchon Dojo. Abandon the tedium and cares of life. All who enter and prepare your minds and bodies for the rigor and joys of combat." And I was like, that sounded very much like an advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, especially since he's like right there in front of him. Like that's so weird. Exactly. It's like oh well, and and Yularen kind of has this smirk where he's like oh, and he kind of knows that the that the boy was putting on this nice show, and you know he he asks to be taken to the owner of the dojo, and so they walk in, and Eli points out to Thrawn that he recognizes this woman sitting or standing against the wall in one of the corners, and it's Price. <laughs> and uh, it's just cool to see the characters interact again, because the last time, I think, was at the Alessandra Hotel, where Price was introduced herself to uh, Thrawn and Yularen and Eli. They're back together again, and... Um, she points out that Wahir is the one overseeing the current sparring sessions that are going on, and uh, you know it's it's cool to see the Thrawn and Price interact again. And and so yeah, so the owner Hisishi approaches and she tells the sparrers to stop. And Thrawn notices something interesting, and I I really my heart sank at this, where he notices that Wahir's expression and her stance showed uneasiness, and that she was kind of like looking at Yularen's chest, not looking at any of them in the eyes. And I, you know, it's kind of in line with what they were talking about in the scene before where dojos might be infiltrated. I'm like, no, don't take Wahir from me. Don't do this. Yeah. And he's thinking that maybe they're the infiltrator, maybe. Or because, I mean, when I read this book for the first time, I thought, oh, he's noticing like her doing all these like antics and he's trying to deduce whether she's lying or not or like whether she's hiding something by not making eye contact and all these other subtle movements or heat flusters that no one else would notice but him it it is cool to see also like just on a a tangent about how this book is written it's been touched on before but because this scene is in thrawn's point of view and I just love how we get these kind of moments in italics where we are perceiving the situation through Thrawn's eyes, where um, I think the the quote from what he observed from Wahir was, and I quote, Instructor Madras's expression and stance show uneasiness. Her gaze is on Yularen's chest, not his face. It's kind of this look into Thrawn's mind with how he's able to analyze expressions and body language, and it's a great insight into how his mind works. Uh, and that's exactly, you're right, He's he's trying to see if there's something more that meets the eye and from what he can see from Wahir, from Hisishi, because, yeah, there is the possibility that there might be an infiltrator here. So, yeah, Yularen asks for the dojo's records of the government contracts and bodyguard training, and Thrawn kind of butts in and asks if he could observe Hisishi's best stick-fighting combat skills. And he ends up sparring with the, with Hisishi, which uh, would seem kind of random, but it, it ultimately, as we'll discuss, did serve a purpose. But it was just cool to see Thrawn engaging in, in a sparring session here. And what I thought was funny and just really just amazing is that while he's sparring Hisishi, he is simultaneously analyzing Price and Wahir's body language mid-fight to see if their stance is revealing anything or if their gazes or expressions are revealing anything. And that's as casual as you like from Thrawn, isn't it? He's sparring a dojo owner and also analyzing body language from people that aren't involved at the same time. Yeah, I thought that was 
probably one of my favorite parts in the book, to be honest, because the fact that he can focus that well is amazing or multi-test to say the least and it was just a distraction i mean the fact that it was such it was a distraction just to see what other people would do because if he interrogated him he would get nothing from it and he would uh alert night swan or if someone is in there but now he he can deduce that information by himself and like take notes by himself and only share that information when the time is right Exactly. Because it's, you're right. If he just went in, you know, if they just went in and started interrogating people, you know, that that puts whoever might be infiltrating, if that's the case, on high alert. And like you said, they'll get nothing. But here he's able to, because everyone's kind of surprised at the fact that he just challenged Hisishi to a sparring session where, because I think Hisishi had said that, okay, she and Wahir would demonstrate, but Thrawn was like, no, 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 you and me, we're, we're going at it. So he kind of took people by surprise. And it just seems like this random event where it's like, all right, well, this captain is sparring the dojo owner. There's nothing to it. But like you're saying, there's that's that's his in. That's his method of being able to not reveal what he's actually doing in the situation. And that is seeing how Hisishi responds to the fight and also how Wahir and Price are acting on the on the sidelines. And so... The, uh, the sparring session ends, you know, they both kind of pay their respects to each other, and Thrawn and, and his company leave. And outside the dojo, Yularen asks Thrawn, you know, okay, clearly there's something going on there. I'm, I, he said something like, I assume that you, you didn't just do that for fun. And they kind of have like this debrief where Thrawn agrees, he, and they all noticed that Wahir hadn't stopped the sparring sessions going on when they had first entered the building. These are like high Navy Imperial officers that have entered the building. And I think like normal protocol would be for everyone to stop and pay respect to, you know, a, a colonel walking in the room or, or a captain walking in the room. But Wahir didn't stop the sparring. Or when Price approached them to, to chat, I think Price had to walk across the, the mat with like multiple groups sparring. And Wahir hadn't stopped that. And Thrawn kind of guessed that she knew who they were and stalled that meeting so she had some time to compose herself, which this is just, it seems so incriminating against Wahir, which I hate, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like these subtle things that Thrawn is picking up and Eli is also chipping in, but, you know, kind of just impressive stuff from what Thrawn's able to gather from Little. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like... <sighs> These are things that could never happen. Like, oh, he's just overthinking this. Like, those are stupid things that he's just thinking. Like, that's what a normal person would probably think. Like, oh, well, he's just overthinking the situation. Like, I'm sure they just didn't stop because they didn't hear you or they just didn't care enough or whatever. But he's got a point. I mean, he's thinking like the enemy. What would they do if their adversary was to come in there for a meeting? Would they stop immediately and go up to them, or would they try to stall the situation? Exactly, and it's very much putting his mind into their shoes, and you know they're able to kind of break down what Wahir was thinking in this moment, and you know you hate to see it because in the past chapters uh, I've been reveling how Wahir's stock has been rising. You know she she knows martial arts. She kind of she took out like I think uh when when Price was cornered by the six men I think she like took out four of them on her own and you know she has good taste in food and it's like this this top tier woman who's now potentially uh, an an agent but um 
Yeah, they, they continued to, to talk about what had happened, where he had asked Price about the, the name of the advocacy group that she worked at. And when Price told Thrawn that she works for Higher Skies, he noticed that Wahir kind of respond like her body language showed discomfort, that she might not have liked Price telling Thrawn the name of this organization. And Higher Skies has already seemed kind of suspect, where Price has noticed that there's no one ever around. And Driller seems kind of shady about its ongoings. And, you know, the only reason that she's not asking more questions is that she's getting paid well. And, you know, she's kind of focused on her game. But you know, it kind of puts Higher Skies in even more of a, of a suspect situation here. And Thrawn lets us in on, on why he had sparred against Hisishi. And he was explaining that he didn't have a good baseline on, I think Hisishi's species is a Togorian. Um, he didn't have a good baseline on Togorian emotions. And he wanted to know if Hisishi was also in discomfort at Thrawn knowing about higher skies. And so what Eli's putting together here, and I quote, So you gave her the chance to take you out, Vanto said slowly. You were the only one of us who'd heard the name. So if she'd wanted to, she could knock you down, claim it was an accident, and buy herself and the group some time. Uh, which, in, in fairness to Hisishi, she didn't. Everything went normal, so Thrawn has kind of checked her off the list. But I liked Thrawn's response here to Eli saying that, where he says, and I quote, To be more precise, I offered what looked like opportunities to injure me. They were, of course, illusory. <laughs> and he's not being arrogant here. He's just being matter-of-fact. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, to say the least, he's a genius in these situations, but... I mean, all the evidence is pointing towards these different factors, and I think he's on the right track as far as Night Swan and what is happening with infiltrating. But how lucky is he to get in? Because how many dojos? Did they mention how many dojos are on Coruscant, I, or if there's only a few? Yeah, Yularen didn't specify. He just says, we've got combat dojos that do nothing but train Senate and Ministry bodyguards, but we don't know how many. Maybe, I mean, potentially... A heck ton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think this is the first time we've seen Tagorian species. I, it might be new to the canon. I'm not sure. I don't recognize the species from any legend stories. But the fact that he wanted to get a gauge on her emotions like that, I think that's a smart play. Because everything he does is psychological. You know, he doesn't need brute force or whatever. I mean, he can use his defense techniques uh, when he has to. But in all, his warfare is all psychological. And with the mind and emotions and sensing other people's um, uncomforts or antics. And I think that is his biggest ally. Yeah, that he's able to to see past the any mask that people kind of put on, where you know he can understand motivations and kind of the you know kind of not not necessarily reading anyone's mind, but he's just taking things that would seem normally just of of no use and being able to piece together people's moves and and anticipate you know and think outside of just each moment and see the the grander picture, which it pays off pretty uniquely to to Thrawn in these cases. Um, which is, and it just adds to the fascination of, of his character. Yeah, so Higher Skies is now uh, kind of... Kind of uh, sketchy. Yeah, it's sketchy. And, and Yularen says, like, yeah, the, uh, the ISB are going to get cracking down on that, see if they can investigate and find anything. 
And Thrawn says that he kind of chipped in that he'd like to monitor their progress, but Yularen said that while Thrawn was sparring against Hasishi, he and Eli had received information about uh, his next assignment. And so they find out that the Thunder Wasp would be undergoing repairs for the next four weeks, and in that time Thrawn would be at the Imperial Palace chilling with Palpatine, and that Thrawn had also been promoted to commander of the Thunder Wasp. So he has now inherited Shino's role. And it was Eli who, who gave Thrawn this news, where Yularen had prompted Eli to do that. And we can sense, and Thrawn notices, that Eli seems to be very frustrated uh, because there's no promotion for him, again, where Thrawn has been promoted to, uh, I think, to lieutenant and senior lieutenant and captain and now commander. And this whole time, Eli's just stayed stagnant at the bottom. I think Thrawn is slowly realizing this, but I think at the beginning he's like, you're with me, like, this is a great situation for you. Or he just didn't really take notice of how much Eli really, really wanted to just go off or grow in in his own stature instead of sticking by Thrawn's side. But I think he believes that they're both mutually gaining and he's t- he's teaching Eli and then Eli is helping him and I think the whole book over the course of the book is that their mindsets are slowly coming together and they're saying okay this was for the better like we're the perfect partners yeah it's they have come to complement each other's skills and outlooks very well you know and and Eli has been frustrated at many times before with kind of Thrawn's expertise and how, you know, he felt very out of his comfort zone, but then he's come to also enjoy being a part of working with Thrawn because it's, you know, it's an experience like none other. But, you know, at the same time, Eli is, you know, he is a human. He does feel more emotionally than Thrawn does. And, you know, it's, <laughs> he's he's getting dissed here where, because at the beginning of the chapter, he had been telling Thrawn specifically about high command kind of taken anyone down around Thrawn to try and get to Thrawn himself because they know that they can't specifically take Thrawn himself down because he's too successful right now for that but if they just kind of chip away at everyone around him then they might get to Thrawn where do you think that Eli's withholding of of a promotion do you think that that's intentional by high command here where they're maybe trying to get Eli yeah okay yeah (laughs) because like because he is frustrated and maybe that's the goal that do you think he would get so frustrated that he would want to maybe leave Thrawn I think he would consider it for a while but you know given time to cool down I think Eli would know better personally because i mean it, it makes sense from his perspective like this guy is just getting everything and i'm just stuck by his side while he moves up like what am i doing here i'm getting nothing out of this i mean yeah he's a smart commander but like i want my career to move forward and yet nothing's happening after all this time so but i think it, if given a second chance almost or a little bit to cool down he would say there's no other commander like Thrawn and if he was anywhere else it would probably be miserable if he had the time to think about it but that's my personal perspective yeah I think I mean I he knows the game of other commanders I mean he does want to work the supply line but I, I think he's slowly coming to realize like he's getting a lot more out of this than he really anticipated. 
Yeah, definitely. I think he's also realized that in in some moments in previous chapters where, you know, there's this, this constant internal battle within Eli where he's kind of pitting what he envisioned himself doing against where he currently finds himself. And you know, I think circumstance-wise, if he was just an, a supply officer, he like that's kind of, you know, comparative to being alongside this incredible naval officer. It would be kind of like miserable, you know, like, uh, you know, comparatively, where now he's he's had the chance to see this mastermind in action and really be like his his accomplice kind of and it's a very unique situation for Eli and I, there is value in it and i think he sees that but you know he is human and and it does clash with the frustration of of the reality where he's being held back and he could be in a rank of more prestige if he was pursuing his intended path and, you know, before I had kind of thought that Eli wasn't really about the prestige, where, you know, c- compared to a character like Price, she's all about gaining the glory, gaining the power, and Eli very much is not about that. But, you know, we, we get these moments here where I don't think we can blame him for getting upset here that, yet again, he's kind of being held to the ground while Thrawn is being allowed to grow. And it is frustrating whichever way you look at it, I think. Yeah, because, I mean... He could have been maybe a rank or two higher by now. I don't. I don't know how it works in the supply line, <laughs> um, <laughs> management perspective in the empire. But he's probably thinking like, oh, well, where could I have been? Like, if I wasn't in this situation with Thrawn, and or if I wasn't stuck to his side, like I could be off somewhere. I could be getting paid way better. But here I am, and uh, you know, yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm actually. In terms of what you said about human emotions and being completely different from Chiss, that's another thing I'm actually looking forward to the new books, getting a wider look into the whole culture. Because, I mean, it sounds like we're going to be getting a lot of good looks at different characters in the Chiss, but I think they've stated, even for his species, that he's unique as well, and not all of them are the same. Yeah, But we'll see. We'll see, I, I suppose. Yeah, because that is true where Thrawn kind of revealed in his own thoughts that he is unique compared to the rest of his species. Uh, for example, in his relationship to art, where that's something that's unique to him. And kind of no other Chiss has that ability, kind of, where they have asked him how he's able to do that. So we, we know that he's unique in that way, and you know, he set himself apart with being uh, kind of more aggressive in seeking preemptive strikes against the threats to the uh, Chiss ascendancy. But yeah, so we, he is very different, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what those books will unearth about, just more about the, the Chiss culture. But yeah, it, it's, I don't know, it, it's cool to see the clashing personalities of Thrawn, where he's just very meticulous, and he just looks at the facts, he's very objective, compared to Eli, who is growing in his ability to do that, but he's also, at the end of the day, you know, he has... He, he's he, very limited in his knowledge and tactics. Yeah, he's yeah he is very, compared to Thrawn, very limited, but he's also more governed by his emotions, I think, where Thrawn, you know, is, is rarely emotional, I guess. But yeah, that, that kind of ends the chapter there, where Eli is just is frustrated at yet again being held down, and Thrawn is now the commander of the thunder wasp and that brings chapter 15 to a close did you have any uh, any closing thoughts on the chapter yeah i mean i i just hope we'll see uh, down the line in your uh, summaries 
that uh, Thrawn will start realizing Eli's uh, emotions more. And I guess we'll see where it goes from here, you know? Yeah, because we do know that Thrawn has before been recommending Eli for promotions. You know, so he wants Eli to rise with him, but it, it is high command, it seems. It's just hard just, with higher. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just hard with high command. Just actively trying to, to press Eli down and maybe just plot to take down Thrawn. But yeah, that brings us to the end of chapter 15. And I am noticing that, you know, we've been going for quite a while. I think that we might have to end it here uh, with with 15 and cover 16 in a separate episode because um, we've been we've been going for a while. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I might call it here. So yeah, before we close out today, Chad, do you mind giving a little bit about uh, your artwork and uh, also the uh, Imperial Coffee Break podcast? Just talk about what you do so listeners know what to expect from uh, your work if they try to uh, find out what you do. Yeah, so I mean, like you said, I'm co-host of the Imperial Coffee Break podcast. I'm on that with uh, Mr. Gruntington on Twitter and Instagram. And right now we're uploading our videos to YouTube. Uh, We're trying to get that onto Spotify soon, but we're both pretty busy right now. So we'll see how that goes um, in the meantime. But I post my art on my art account on Instagram at ChadTheDadArt. And uh, on Twitter, I'm at ChadTheDad7. And I have the same profile picture for each. It's just me <laughs> with some goggles and a little gas mask because I just based it off of when I was riding or whatever. But yeah, so I share my art on both of those. I do digital art on Clip Studio Paint. So come check it out. And if you want to come in contact with me, just DM me or whatever. You know, I do commissions. So if you're interested in that, uh, feel free to reach out to me. Yeah, listeners, I can confirm that Chad's artwork is uh, pretty phenomenal. I know that I could not do anything like that myself. And it's, um, I think, a whole lot of, because I know you do a lot of Star Wars art. I've seen some Halo art. I've also seen some, yeah. some other other like non-related art as well. It's it's a whole lot that you do, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I do. I, I started this with Star Wars because I, I got back into digital art quite recently, a few years ago. But as far as... Uh, what I draw, yeah, it's a lot of Star Wars. Um, I've drawn Lord of the Rings before, uh, Halo. I'm in a really big Halo mood right now yeah. lately. I'm going to be reading the next book soon. And some different anime characters, I do that. Um, pretty much the whole lot of it. But I know a lot of, a big part of my following base is Star Wars because, I mean, people are crazy for clone troopers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's really incredible what you do and just the, the different designs and, and stuff that you've posted. It, it's a lot. It's a lot of good stuff. Listeners, I would definitely uh, recommend checking out Chad's work on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter. It's really great stuff, can confirm. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see if I can get a uh, get in on the commissions. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks. Yeah, for, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for, for talking about your art. It is, uh, I'm just in awe every time I see uh, your post and seeing, you know, what new stuff you come up with uh, each time. It's, it's very impressive man thanks for having me on the show and uh your podcast is really great i think all your book reviews are really great i appreciate it man thank you so much it's you know it is a fun ride and it's also you know even more fun when i get to break it down with another guest and get into the nitty-gritty of it but uh, thank you for coming on the episode man for taking the time and making this happen uh i hope you had as much fun as i did this was really great and we'll be coming back for uh part two as well with uh, just how much we were discussing it's it's a great problem to have which is awesome absolutely this is terrific and i can't wait to see more yeah, and listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, feel free to give a follow on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod, and you can find Outer Rim Reads on whichever podcast platform you use. 
I would very much appreciate a good review on Apple Podcasts as well. Good reviews on Apple Podcasts really help others who are interested in Star Wars literature to find this show. So a good review on Apple Podcasts is very much appreciated. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha. It is produced by Andrew Geha. It is edited by Andrew Geha. And we will be back in two weeks with Episode 9. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Have a chat with one of the locals. That Skywalker kid tells a good story about his T-16 and some womp rats.